series. Looking at this wonderful book, learning about uh, how God's strength and power is made perfect in weakness, how He demonstrates His glory and His ways through weakness. And so this morning, we're going to look at the, the idea of God working joy through pain and struggle. And as the picture shows, uh, it, it points to a story. There's a story told of a young boy who came across a butterfly cocoon, and he brought it into his house. And he watched over the course of hours as the butterfly struggled to break free from its com- confinement in the cocoon. It managed, the butterfly managed to create a small hole in the cocoon, but its body was too large to get out of that hole, and it became tired, and it, and it's, and it became still. And the boy wanted to help the butterfly, so he snipped a slit in the cocoon with a pair of scissors. But the butterfly uh, came out, but it was small and weak, and its wings were crumpled. And the boy expected the butterfly to take flight, but instead it could only drag its undeveloped body along the ground. It was incapable of flying. The boy, in his eagerness to help the butterfly, had actually stunted its development. He didn't know that the butterfly needed to grow through the process of struggling in the cocoon and against the cocoon to gain strength and to get its blood to flow in the right places and fill its wings with blood. It was the struggle of the butterfly that made it stronger and able to fly. Well, this is a metaphor for the truth of this passage today. And Paul's going to talk about in this section uh, a number of things that all point to ultimately the truth that the life that we live in Jesus involves following the path from pain to joy. Life in Jesus involves being on a path from pain to joy. We're going to learn that in this section. And really, this is a theme we'll see throughout 2 Corinthians. So let's pray, because we need this truth. You and I live our lives in the Lord, and we are, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, are on this path that involves going from pain to joy. And God wants to help us understand what's going on, and how to live in light of that. So let's pray and ask for His help. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You don't leave us alone to, to wonder what to do, wonder what's going on, but You bring Your truth to speak to us. We ask the Lord to do that this morning. Speak to us through Your Word. Help me, Lord, to, to serve You well. And I pray each of us would hear from You this morning through Your Word in terms of the truths we need. And help us, Lord, to respond to You in faith, and obedience as a result. We, we love You, Lord. We thank You for Your grace. So come now in power, Holy Spirit, and help us in these ways, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1-11. through 11. Paul says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. 
So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. God's Word from 2 Corinthians 1-11. through We're going to go through this section. We're going to look at uh, three kind of chunks, and you see if you have your notes there, um, there's going to be three things we'll look at. First, we'll look at this idea of the painful visit and this painful letter. Then we'll look at the reason for the pain, and then we'll look at the reason for joy that's here. So we're going to go through that, see those three chunks, and in all this, just learn about the reality that life in Jesus involves following a path from pain to joy. So first, the painful visit and the letter, verses 1-4. through four. Um, Paul starts out in verse 1 saying he had made up his mind not to make another painful visit to them. Um, he had, uh, at this point in time, he had already written 1 Corinthians and addressed some things that were going on in the church. And then he followed up that letter with a visit that he calls here a painful visit. And so he says, I don't want to make another painful visit to you. Well, he had already had made a painful visit. Um, and, and so this followed after 1 Corinthians. And, and if you read through 1 Corinthians, which was written about a year before 2 Corinthians, so it's not that much time had passed between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And by the way, some have asked me, like, wow, could we go through 1 Corinthians? And the reason we didn't is we actually did go through that as a church a little while back. It was about 15 years ago, and so I don't know, there's probably only about a handful of us who were here back then. Maybe we'll go through it again. Um, but it's a wonderful book. And in that book, Paul addresses all sorts of issues that are going on in Corinth. There's all sorts of things that they're struggling with in this church. Uh, they're, they're, they're a church that's come to Jesus. They've come to understand the good news of Jesus. They've put their faith in Jesus. Uh, the gospel of grace is having an effect, but there's a lot of worldly things that are going on in the church. They're really struggling through a lot of, a lot of issues. And so in that letter, 1 Corinthians, he addresses things like views of leadership, church factions, church discipline, lawsuits, sexual ethics, marriage and divorce, uh, relating to a pluralistic and idolatrous society, public worship, spiritual gifts, the resurrection, collection for the poor. All these different issues are in that letter. It's chock full of things. But there were some issues that were apparently unresolved. Uh, and so he made another visit uh, to Corinth to, to address some of these issues. It, it looks like one of the things that we... Uh, think, the scholars think, and reading through this, I think you can see, it looks like the issue of church discipline is one of the things that hasn't been resolved. And, and uh, there's a situation, we'll, we'll cover it shortly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where there's somebody who is saying they're a believer and living a very contradictory lifestyle. And Paul says, look, you need to deal with that. And it seems like they didn't deal with that, they didn't follow through with that situation, and there's some sort of connection between that situation and their view of leadership. So a likely scenario is that that, that situation and the individual who is uh, saying they're a believer and yet uh, living, living in an incestuous, adulterous relationship, uh, someone was living with their aunt, so it was just this terrible thing going on, inconsistent uh, with following Jesus, uh, that they didn't deal with it locally. 
thoroughly. And, and it looks like something happened, probably some sort of division in the church. Maybe the person who was being challenged kind of got a crew around them of people that were kind of opposed to Paul. And, and it looks like some sort of leaders got involved in this and were challenging Paul's uh, leadership and saying he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't understand grace, so forth and so on, and they weren't following through on that issue in the church. That's the background here. And uh, the situation is so bad uh, as they are refusing to follow through and accusing Paul of being just weak and you know, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Sounds good in his letters, but when, he, when he's present, he's just a nobody. Um, this, it wasn't going well, so Paul made a visit to Corinth to try to fix it, to try to address the situation and resolve it. And when he went, uh, apparently things only got worse. Uh, and it was a very painful visit. Uh, the, the dissension just grew, the opposition just grew, and they didn't respond to Paul. And he decided at that point to actually leave Corinth, to withdraw, uh, to let things cool down a little bit, and to deal with it a little differently. Now Paul had the ability to bring in the big guns. So it wasn't that Paul was like a wimp. Oh no, you know these guys are, these guys are too scary. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. He had the authority of that. We're still going to love you and let you suffer those consequences that come from that choice. It's tough love. Tough love is painful. Uh, if you've ever done tough love, you know it's painful because you love them. You want the best for them. You want to you protect them. You want to be the boy that snips the cocoon so that the, they don't have to struggle and go through pain. But tough love requires pain because that's often what's necessary to get to the good result. So it's painful for Paul. It's painful too because there's risk in it. He's writing a forceful enough letter to address the issues and he's realizing, you know, this might be the end of my relationship with these guys. I love them. Paul sacrificed for this church. He, he, he put his life on the line really every time he went to start a new church back in that culture at that time. And, and it's true today in many parts of the world. Anyone who goes in the love of Christ to a village where... Christianity is opposed to start a church is risking their life. He risked their lives, his life for them. He loved them. And so it was very painful. And it points to this reality, guys, that's, that's not just true for Paul, but for us. When you want to follow Jesus and you love others in His name, it can be painful at times. The Christian life and, the Christian, and Christian leadership can be really hard because we live in a, live in a fallen world that opposes Jesus. Our own flesh opposes Jesus. The world opposes Jesus. The devil opposes Jesus. And these things are active. And if you love Jesus and want to follow Him and you love others and want them to follow, it's, it's going to be painful at times. Sometimes it's just painful because, because the Lord calls us to put away the things of the world and that can be difficult. Sometimes it's painful because you're calling others to leave the ways of the world and there's relational pain in that. They may not like you anymore as a result. And we don't want that. We want we love people we love. We want them to like us. That's natural, um, and it's painful though when you have to say, "Look, this isn't. That's not following Jesus. You need to turn away from that stuff. You need to get clean. You need to get help." Um, those sorts of things are hard to do. It's painful, um, and it and there's no way around it because of how God works. We live in this broken world. We live in this world where we struggle with sin. And to love Jesus and follow Jesus and love others means we'll have to address it in other people's lives and our own life. Pain is unavoidable in the Christian life. 
There's no way around it. And so for Paul, he was encountering pain. He loved them. To love somebody is to expose your heart to pain. There's no way around that. To love someone is to be vulnerable. It's to give your own life for their sake and to kind of hand it out to them and they can actually take it or leave it. And they can hurt you. When you care about someone else, you've, you've made yourself vulnerable to them. Because they may not do the right thing. And their pain and their suffering is yours. This is reality. and We need to understand that. It's part of following Jesus. It's part of loving like Jesus that we're going to encounter pain in relationships. C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. I believe we see this most dramatically in Jesus Himself. He loved supremely and He had His heart broken supremely. He was betrayed by His close friends. He was denied by one of His best friends. He was abandoned by pretty much all His friends. He was all alone bearing the sins of mankind on the cross. The horror of our evil was on Him and the holy wrath of God and His pure, right justice was poured out on Jesus. He was treated as if He had done all the terrible things that you and I had done. He bore that on the cross by Himself. And in that place of bearing sin and bearing the justice of God, His heart was broken and He died. The God-man perished. He died prematurely on that cross because of what was going on on that cross spiritually and relationally. He loved and He went through great pain as a result. That's just the reality of when you love, you will go through pain. Charles Spurgeon uh, was a young pastor at the age of 22 and quite a phenom. Uh, his gift for preaching back in the mid-1800s and his love for people had uh, led him to, to be a pastor of thousands. Actually, there were 12,000 people who wanted to come hear him and so they couldn't fit in their church building anymore. And so they rented out uh, a place, a, a larger venue, where he could speak. And their first service there, as it's packed in with people, and he's there to proclaim the, the truth and love of Christ, somebody yelled, fire, though there was no fire. And a panic and a stampede followed. Although Spurgeon tried to quiet the crowd, it was too late. 28 people were hospitalized. Seven people were trampled to death. Spurgeon was so overwhelmed by the catastrophe that he had to be carried out on a stretcher. He never fully recovered from what happened. It took him two weeks just to come back and speak again. And he did so successfully for 35 years, but the tragedy and the pain of that tragedy, the terrible thing that happened uh, to those he loved, never left him. And that's the reality. When we love people, 
And when we love Jesus, we'll encounter pain. And so let's learn the lesson from Spurgeon and Paul and most of all from Jesus. That following Jesus and loving others will include pain at times. You can't avoid it. But we have here the Word of God to guide us in it. And we have Jesus to look to. Don't be surprised. Don't run away. Look to Jesus who endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. There's a reason for pain here in the context for Paul. The specific cause, as I've talked about a little bit, um, is this church discipline situation. And, and likely from the same situation in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, and probably including some sort of leadership aspect, as I said. There's a situation going on. This is the specific reason for the pain. And so Paul starts to talk about this in, in verses 5 and 6. And he says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Notice that he doesn't name the person. He wants to care for the person. He doesn't call them out. But he does say for such a one. There's an individual here that has undergone church discipline. And, and the situation in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is, is someone who's living with his aunt. Um, it's adulterous. It's incestuous. It's unrepentant. He's saying he follows Jesus and he's doing this. And Paul says, you can read chapter 5, that you need to, you need to put this guy out of the church. It doesn't make any sense. You've you got to protect the church and the purity of the church. You've got to protect the, the name of Christ, your reputation in the world. You've got to care for this guy enough to do the tough love for him so that he'll understand. So you've got to put him out, not to shun him, but to love him in hopes of his redemption. That when he's put out and he's cut off from the normal relationships of the church, that in that place, he's going to be able to not, no longer have his cake and eat it too. He's going to get the full consequences of his choices. And so Paul says, actually, you're handing him over to Satan. You're putting him out of the church and you're leaving him to his own devices and you're letting basically him be unprotected by being part of Jesus' people and to suffer consequences and to come back. And so that's what he says for them to do, but it, it, it seems that there was a delay. And again, the leadership issue tied into that. And, and here, Paul is addressing them and, and saying... He said in his severe letter, you guys got to fall through with this, with this tough love. He's got to come to this place where he realizes that the passing pleasure of sin is not worth the true goodness of belonging to Jesus. That's what church discipline is about, by the way. We as a church uh, practice church discipline for the same reasons. We are committed to it because it's in Scripture. We're committed because we want people to understand that the passing pleasures of sin are not worth at all, the goodness of belonging to Jesus and being safe in Jesus. And, and so Paul uh, is addressing this, and that's, that's much of the reason for the pain here because they're, they're struggling with it and he's struggling for them. Uh, and he's willing to address it. He's willing to go through the pain for the sake of the church, for his love for them. And, and in this context, it looks like they've responded from what we see. that uh, He's saying that the punishment from the majority is enough. So it's had its effect now at this point. So he went there for the painful visit. Didn't go well. Thought, okay, I should back off. Let them process through. Pray for them. And then he writes the letter addressing the issue. And then they respond. And so Paul's uh, 
dealing with that here. And he's addressing this. And, and now that the guy's responded, that he wants them to re- forgive him and receive him. And we're going to talk about the reason for joy in that. Um, but it's just, this is part of the reality that that pain is necessary in the Christian life. And there are particulars behind it. And the particular here is a church discipline situation. But the, the particular could be anything. And so there's application from Paul's experience and the church's experience to our lives as well. And, and I just want to say there's all sorts of ways that we encounter pain in following Jesus. Author uh, Paul Miller talks about the J-shaped Christian life. I think we have a picture to show of the, the cover of his book. He calls it the J-curve. And I think it's a very helpful way to understand the Christian life. To follow Jesus means we have to die to certain things. We have to die to our desires. We have to die to our comforts at times. We have to die sometimes to relational harmony because as we follow Jesus and we love others, we want to love them, but they may not like that. They may not want to follow Jesus. And so there's pain in that. or There's relational pain. Whatever it might be, the life of following Jesus is taking up His cross daily and following Him. And so that, on this curve, when you want to draw the letter J from left to right, first you go down before you go up. And so the Christian life is a death. A death with Jesus on the cross. When He dies on the cross, He dies bearing our sin. And we're united to Him actually. And we die to sin with Him. And then that's worked out practically in our lives all the time. Every time we face a situation, every time we have a preference for something, every time you drive your car, there are things that happen where you, in following Jesus, must choose to die. To die to self. To die to your own preferences. To, to die to what you want. To die to being the center of your world. You are called to die at all those moments. And to put away self-centeredness, to put away sin, and to endure the pain of death. Every time you go to share the good news of Jesus with someone else, you need to die to yourself. Why? People don't want to hear the good news of Jesus because in the good news there's bad news, right? If you're going to share the good news, you need to tell them that you know what, you and I are in trouble. We are separated from God in our sin. And left to ourselves, we'll live for eternity apart from Him. No one wants to hear that, and, and we should never really take pleasure in telling the bad news. But in order to understand the good news, you've got to tell the bad news. So there's always risk, and there's always death in that. There's no way around it. If you want to share the good news with others, you have to die. They'll never come up with a way to do it otherwise. There's no method that will get you around the need to go down first before you go up. But death in Jesus is followed by life. So when we die to self on the J-curve going down first and die and go through the pain of that, then there's life in Jesus. Then He uses us to bless others and to tell of His love. Then He teaches us how to live in Him the new way, not in the sinful way. Then He uses us in others' lives for good. And so you can take it to any experience in life. Every moment of our lives, really, we face the same thing. We're called to death and life. The big moments, the little moments, every thought, every thing we're interested in, we're presented with this call in Jesus all the time. And so there's an inherent pain in the Christian life then, isn't there? Until we go to be with Jesus and we're done with sin and done with the world, life following Jesus means pain. But there's joy on the other side of that pain. There's life in Him. 
I hope that makes sense. I hope that helps you. And I could illustrate that in all sorts of practical ways. Big ways, little ways. I, you know, drive my car all the time, face the same thing, right? I mean, that's just a kind of a trivial way, but a real way we always face it. When somebody, uh, somebody's driving too slow in front of me, you know, I can have an attitude. I can like, be like, eh, come on, I mean, you shouldn't even be on the road anymore. They should retest licenses to get people like you off the road. And I can just have a terrible attitude, or I could be gracious. And Lord, bless this person. Pray they'd have a great day. So there's a death to that. I'm, I, I, I want my way. I want to get to work or wherever on time. Get to die to myself and live for Jesus and live for others. This is a, a small way, but it can happen in the big things of life. For me, one of the big areas in my life had to do with my vocational call. And when I was uh, in my mid-20s, I had a sense of call to be a pastor. I had already served as a lay elder. I was working part-time and, and serving as a, a lay elder in our church, hoping to make a transition. And God clearly and convincingly uh, closed the door on that. Uh, most of it had to do with my senior pastor telling me that he didn't think God was calling me to pastor and I should go back to my regular job. That was kind of discouraging. And it closed the door, but it was good for me. It was a death. It was a death to the dream. Um, I had to learn a lot of things. I was very angry at God, actually. I was like, God, why are you messing with me? Come on, let me serve you the way I want to serve. Uh, and I had to learn there was something wrong with that. <laughs> that it was more about me and, and doing what I thought was you know, going to be great and glorious. And so I had to die. And it was painful. I went through about two months of being anger, angry the whole two months at God. I didn't want to walk away from Him because I knew I had no place to go. You know, I can run, but I can't hide. But I was mad. Uh, and, I, and I had to process through that. I learned a lot, and that's another whole uh, long story, uh, of good things. But there was death. And then it's... You, you know the rest of the story, because here I am. Um, ten years later, through multiple circumstances, God brought it back to life in a different way. And actually, when the call came the next time, and that was a whole process, I actually didn't feel as strongly. I'm like, hey, I kind of like serving how I am. You know, I like my job. I like this context. And, and I was somewhat reluctant to follow, but he called. And so that's just a picture of how this J-curve works, this reality of the path of pain to joy. We see it here with Paul. So let us understand this. Let us not be afraid of the pain. And let us not try to avoid it. I think that's where we get in trouble. We try to negotiate a way to live the Christian life getting around all the pain. There's no way to get around it. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to go through the pain to the joy. That's where life is. That's how life is found. And so let's not be surprised. And let, let us understand in dealing with others as well that they need the pain. Now we're to... Weep with those who weep. We're to help provide the, for the needs of others. So it doesn't mean you're like, ha, tough. You know, you've got to go through all that tough. That's gonna, you're just going to be stronger for it. Go, you know, and we don't do anything. Now we want to be compassionate. But we need to be careful in what we do and how we counsel people. And not just seek to snip the cocoon so the butterfly can get out. We need to love them and care for them, but, but help, help them be strengthened to go through the pain to life. So let me just ask, in, in light of that, is that how you're thinking of your care for others? And I, and I think parents sometimes can make mistakes here. Um, are you sheltering your love, your children, from maybe some of the redemptive pain they need to go through? Because you, you care for them. But it's painful for you. That's what Paul meant when he, he went through this anguish. It was like, I love these guys. I don't want to have to say these things. I don't like saying them. It's hard. I don't want to have this conflict. But I know for their good, I've got to say it. 
And I've got I've to draw the line here for their sake. Because I love them and I want, I want life on the other side. I want that joy. And so for us, parents, or, or whatever context we're in, are you sheltering people from redemptive pain? Or are you wisely letting them be exposed to that so that they might find life on the other side? And that's one of the best ways to help somebody in their pain. Come alongside and help in certain ways. Bring some degree of relief, certainly. But help them understand that through the pain, there's, the curve goes up. There's life. There's joy. There's becoming more like Jesus. There's understanding more of His love. Thirdly, and last point, the reason for joy. Well, Paul is working through this pain with them because of the joy that's on the other side. And, it, and we see that in, in verses 7-11. through 11. He has brought that a severe letter and they've responded. And it says that the, the punishment from the majority is enough. That the church has stepped up and the majority has done the right thing. And the person has responded. So Paul says, I, uh, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So they're on the other side in terms of this church discipline situation. And Paul's saying now that he's turned, don't keep bringing punishment. He's responded. This guy has repented. He's turned. He's turned away from that lifestyle. Uh, and I think in that case, it would mean that he moved out of his aunt's house. It was no longer there, no longer in this relationship. It doesn't mean the guy's perfect though. We have to understand that. And this is the danger. Paul's saying, turn to forgive him, otherwise he might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Um, and then he says, uh, we don't want to be outwitted by Satan for we're not ignorant of his designs. It's interesting, Paul's saying, there's two errors you guys could make in this situation. One is, is leniency, where you don't bring the painful consequences. But the other side is strictness. You can make a mistake there and, and basically be, be like, you know, you, not only do you need to move out, not only do you need to, you know, to stop doing that, but you need to go to every single one in this church and say you're sorry, and then you need to demonstrate for three months that you're, that you're perfectly pure, and you need to do all these things. They could have been very strict. And Paul says, don't. The guy's repentant. Receive him. Let him receive your forgiveness and the love that you have for him. Reaffirm that love. Welcome him back. It's not perfection. But it is a change in perspective. Repentance is a change in perspective in the mind and the heart. And it's followed through with action, indeed, and that's how you know whether it's genuine. But it's not perfect action. It never will be until we go to be with Jesus. So, Paul says, avoid the other extreme of being overly strict. Receive this man with joy. Welcome him back. Let him be healed and refreshed and renewed. Let him know his forgiveness. Comfort him. Welcome him back. Welcome him in. Know that, let him know your love and respect for him. Let him have just an experience where he, he just feels totally welcome back and there's no problem at all. I don't know if you've been a part of church discipline that has gone well. I have and I've seen some of this. In, in different stages of church discipline where people have responded and welcomed back and doing well. And I think it's wonderful. It honors Christ when we do that. And that person doesn't have to be worrying what everyone thinks about them. They know just like everyone else, they're forgiven sinners. And they're welcomed back into fellowship. That's, that's what Paul is saying should be done here. Well, an illustration of this to share with you as the band comes up and we transition. 
Um, I guess you guys can wait for Q&A. So we'll do Q&A, then you can come up. Um, it's really sweet when we get to see this, and we get to see God do this in people's lives. And we as a church have seen it. Um, and uh, many of you know our good friend Ken Drury. Uh, he was a key part of our church before he went home to be with the Lord. It's about three years ago now. That's Ken on the drums. And, um, and you may not know Ken's whole story. But Ken had come to faith in Christ years before as a relatively young man. And he had gone through many serious disappointing disappointments and struggles and temptations, and in the process of that had turned away from Jesus and walked away. And in his uh, 50s, God used terminal cancer to get his attention. So it was God's discipline process. He had been, he was out of a church, and he got cancer, terminal cancer. That got his attention, and Ken decided, you know, I may, uh, he only had two months to live. And he said, I may only have two months to live, but I want to live those two months following Jesus. And it was our joy to welcome him into our church. Turning from those things, the ways of the world, back to Jesus. And, and that's the joyful man we knew in that. But he first came to us with two months to live on crutches. Had a, a large tumor uh, on his back, uh, in his spine, and, and in, his, in his kidney. And we told Ken, you know, Ken, the, the greatest healing is your spiritual healing, that you're forgiven, and you're back with Jesus. And, and he just said, I just want to live these two months for Jesus that I have. But we said, Ken, you know what? God not only heals spiritually, and that's the most important, but He does heal physically. We can't demand that He does, but we can ask. And so we had a, 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 a mob prayer group gather around Ken and just pray and ask God to heal him. And He did. That tumor uh, reduced to just about nothing. And we had prayed uh, that God would give Ken more time. I was asking for, t for, for not two months, but two decades. Uh, God gave us 14 years with Ken. So 14 years, uh, and, and he was our Joyfield drummer and fellow brother. We miss him very much, but he's with the Lord. Um, and it's just a wonderful story of this whole truth. That... that you know, if Ken hadn't had the cancer and the pain of that, he wouldn't have come back, but he did. The pain for Ken led him back to Jesus and led him to life. And then in God's wonderful grace, uh, he healed him. And we're so grateful for that. So our passage today, verses 1-11 through in chapter 2, teaches us about this truth. That life in Jesus involves the path from pain to joy. That there's pain, but on the other side of that, this J-shaped curve of life, there's joy. And so let's not be afraid of the pain. Let's not shelter others from pain. But let's pursue the joy that's on the other side by looking to Jesus through that pain, being willing to die, and looking to Him for the life that He brings. And let's just take a minute to consider, maybe in our own lives, some way that we can apply this. Maybe some way that you're not applying it. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're thinking, well, maybe I'm not doing quite the right thing. And we'd want to help you think through that. It's not always easy and straightforward, but maybe there's someone who you, whom you're sheltering and you need to let them go through redemptive pain. So let's just take a minute before the Lord to pray. Uh, bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, show me. Teach me how to believe and obey. And then I'll conclude in prayer. Then we'll do a little Q&A. All right? So let's just take a minute silently to pray.